Get more Star Wars discussions every month with the Back to Tank Patreon exclusive shows. From Star Wars comics and book reviews to speculative discussions and breakdowns. All when you pledge to our Patreon page. What? Go to patreon.com slash Digital for more details. As you wish. Warning from the Back to Tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. Workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphor to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. Hello, hello, hello. We are here to talk about something very special, something very exciting. And in the studio with me today is David. Hello, Dave. Very, very exciting. Yeah. So I barely have words. I can't even form <laughs> complete sentences tonight. I doubt it. Dude, because the, the- all day today, it's been very hard for me to focus. See, what's focus? Focus. I can't focus because the episode left me completely speechless and baffled in a good way. In a good way. I mean, I was baffled because I just did not expect any of this to happen like this. It's it's far exceeding, I think, everyone's expectations. Yeah. With just the first two parts. And we're just two parts in. We had inclinations. You know, that they would possibly do this. But when are our fan speculation and fan wants ever really right? I feel like sometimes we're just like talking like, yeah, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then we're like, oh, it kind of happened, but didn't really happen how we had planned or thought. Whereas with Clone Wars, not saying it's predictable by any means. They're doing things that feels right yes it doesn't feel contrived or you know hey guys i'm listening to the fans and i know this is what you want well it's 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 a story the the last two episodes are being told so well that you can take these two episodes put them into revenge of the sith Mm -hmm. and absolutely watch everything in a whole new way and an exciting way too because we're seeing a parallel storyline that that was happening behind the scenes of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I when it's all said and done, based on how the final two episodes play out, I'm going to put together a watch list where I watch Revenge of the Sith. I'm going to stop it at the right time. And then let's say right after Anakin kills Dooku, push play <laughs> on the Clone Wars episode, uh, episode, let's say nine or ten. Then when I'm done watching that, push play and Revenge of the Sith. Stop Revenge of the Sith. Sith. Go back to episode 11 or go back to Clone Wars and watch episode 11. I think it'd be really fun to see how that all works, how they intercuts once we figure out exactly how it lays out chronologically. Absolutely. It'd be a really interesting experiment because honestly, just from my vantage point, I think it's seamless. It's absolutely seamless where, where you can insert these two episodes into the 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 narrative and the in during the movie well if you're dabbling and you're telling a story that runs parallel i should say not dabbling if you're telling a story that runs parallel then yeah it's gonna it seems just it's gonna have to fit so do you realize that originally a long time ago I, i remember me and you talking about how rebels we thought that oh rebels is gonna bump up right against uh, or the ending was going to lead into New Hope, New Hope. yeah, and like, or, or into Rogue One, and we were like saying, "Oh, it's going to run parallel. We're going to see this," and we didn't get it. But if you think about the same concept years later, yeah, we're seeing it unveil uh, in Clone Wars. Well, I'm pretty sure originally Dave Filoni had planned to run Rebels right into New Hope, but then Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy the 
creative bulldozers that they are, <laughs> they probably said, hey, you know what? We're going to do a, a, TV, a movie called Rogue One. And any plans you had with Rebels, um, Filoni? Yeah, just go fuck off. <laughs> just, just stop. Yeah. Stop. So, Dave, we're going to be talking and breaking down episode 10 of the final season titled The Phantom Apprentice. And it God. is very appropriately titled. Yes. All I could say for about an hour after watching the episode was, wow. I rewatched multiple scenes over and over and over. Either because of feelings, emotions Mm -hmm. running high, or because I wanted to make sure I was understanding what was being said. And Dave, we have talked about the possibility of the final season of Clone Wars running parallel to the events of Revenge of the Sith. And... It's something I think you and I both wanted. It just felt like it felt appropriate. It felt like this is the time you can do it. This is the series. When are you ever going to be able to do something like this? Yeah. And Filoni being equal parts, the rightful Lucas heir and legit Star Wars fan. Of course, he's the one who does it the right way, the right way. So let's get into everything officially. This episode was directed by Nathaniel Villanueva and written by the one and only Dave Filoni. The synopsis, Ahsoka leads Republic clones to confront Maul's forces on Mandalore. Maul senses the impending chaos and makes a calculated play to ensure his own survival. So let's get into Maul first. We're going to try our best to stay focused. We may jump around a lot because of our own excitement. So much going on. Yeah, but let's try to focus on Maul first. To see the many different sides of Maul is a reward that I don't think any of us deserved. But we don't. We're, we're, we're complaining losers. And yet we were given something that I don't think any of us had ever thought we would receive. We get the more mature and wise Maul, while also towards the end, we get that bit of the crazed version of Maul that we see in Rebels. Yes. A man on the verge of breaking. I love that element because this is a guy that knows everything. Mm -hmm. He literally now sees the entire puzzle before him. Yeah. And he's the only one. Think about that. Oh, yeah. The Jedi still don't quite know what's going on. Not even Ahsoka. Ahsoka has clues, thoughts, feelings that things aren't right, Mm -hmm. both from the dark side perspective and as well as the Jedi. Are they handling things correctly? But Maul, as, as how we see it now, he's the only person who sees everything unfolding. And he now realizes that he's simply a small piece, a cog in the wheel. And the fact that he has this knowledge and he can do nothing about it. It drives him crazy. Yeah. And I love the consistency because we do get a mall in rebels who teeters on insanity. On insanity. You and I had gone back and forth about that during our Rebels discussions. We're like, he's he's out there, man. Yeah. And now we see why. We see why. We see a guy who who knows things and does not have the ability to change it. Yeah. And that's that was one of the most my one of the points in the episode that I marked for Maul's character was he starts off piecing it together he says oh okay i see what my former master is doing what's his game plan why did he why does he want this why does he want this and when he puts it together he all of a sudden just flips and then he tells like the the mandalorians we got to go into hiding <laughs> because like he tells the mandalorians remember he tells his two henchmen well, he tells the syndicate oh the syndicate yeah that we have to go into hiding we got, we got to wait this out, let all the chaos happen and we'll work behind the shadows. And then that, at that point you start seeing Maul calculating going, okay, I have to do this. If I'm 
if I have to battle Sidious's plan, what's the th- main thing? And then when he realizes what it is, well, he, are, he, he already tries knew all to this. He, already, yeah. he knew he wasn't figuring it out right there, right? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't figuring it out, but he was trying to implement his own plan. And he, it dawned on him that basically I need to get Ahsoka to get on my side. <laughs> and he tries to get Ahsoka in. And it's like the whole fight between him and her, I'm, you almost are rooting for Maul because we as the audience, we know the truth. Maul's right. Yeah. And the, well, and that's the clarification that we got this week in this episode. We get the clarification that. He is not working with Palpatine. Yes. Uh, you and I had talked last episode that perhaps he's still working with him, you know, possibly trying to separate the two Obi-Wan and Anakin for, no. for Palpatine's reasons. But as we find out in this episode, it has nothing to do with helping Palpatine. It's the opposite. He yes. wanted to bring Obi-Wan and Anakin over to him so that he can turn Obi-Wan against Anakin, Anakin. because he's a destroyer. He destroys it all, which is a very powerful statement in the world of Star Wars and the mythos of the Force. Because we have gone back and forth now with who is the chosen one. Because when he tells Ahsoka the dirty deeds that Anakin's about to do, about to commit, and Ahsoka says, alludes to the fact that he's the chosen one, and, and Maul's all know, he destroys it all. Yes. So there we go again with the confusion. Is Anakin the chosen one? Is Luke the chosen one? Who's the chosen one? And we know Filoni has already kind of hinted at, if you go back to Rebels, that Luke is the chosen one. But then in Rise of Skywalker, (laughs) we hear Anakin say, bring balance to the force like I did. Like I did. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a there's I don't want to say there's any there's no I don't want to say there's contradictions, but once again they're playing, you know, with uh, with that aspect a little bit in and teetering into the more ambiguous. Yeah. So we get that clarification that Maul's not working with Palpatine; he's working against him. His motive is simple, which is very much on par with who Maul is. Yes. Stop Sidious from getting what he wants. His plan, tell Obi-Wan the truth he's learned and convince him to kill Anakin. Yes. It's such a simple plan and it's very much Darth Maul. I mean, even if you go back to Rebels, what was his plan? What was his his whole story arc in Rebels to find Obi-Wan? Yes. This is a guy that is very petty. And very obsessed. And very obsessed with the idea of getting his revenge. It's a sad story, and you're right when you said that we find ourselves possibly rooting for Maul. Yes, we all love Ahsoka, but we are actually rooting for Maul in the, in the way that, hey, Ahsoka, join him. He's right. He's right. Well, we as the audience know it because we're fans of Star Wars. We know how this story of Anakin is supposed to go. And the, there's always been that fan question what if? What if Ahsoka was there? Could she have stopped it? Obviously, Maul figures uh, figures it out and says, "Yeah, she could. She's the one. She's the one key to Anakin. She's the last. She's the last connection to who Anakin truly is as a good person. Because if you if you think about it, at this point we're at Revenge of the Sith. Anakin's a very conflicted. He's very you know, he's split, right? He's now. split. Yeah. He, he doesn't know who to trust by revenge of the Sith. It comes down to like the climax where, you know, even, even his wife, he doesn't tr- trust his wife. Well, I think people forget that because we don't see it because of the time jumps between the movies and the prequels. But I think people forget that Anakin has been manipulated and groomed <laughs> as Maul said in this episode since he was a child by this man. So ideology, it weighs very heavy on a person. And especially when you don't know what's being put into your head. So you have two opposing ideologies being put into this young man's mind Mm -hmm. at a very young age. Anakin Skywalker, of course I'm talking about from the Jedi. 
Then you have Sidious doing his thing, manipulating, all to create this conflicted, split person with opposing views. And he's going through a time that he could use support. But what he sees is he sees everyone gunning for him. Everyone's against him. The Jedi are not supporting him. Obi-Wan's not supporting him. Obi-Wan has asked him to spy on the Chancellor. They brought that up. I'm glad they brought that up. Dude, I was so happy because that has always been, for me, a point of of no return for Obi-Wan. It was, you know, Anakin looks to Obi-Wan, you know, his master and friend. A brother or father figure, like Obi Wan, should have been the one that said no to the Jedi Council. No, we're not going to put this on Anakin. Yeah, this is just too much. We we're we're asking too much of him. Not to mention, it's morally wrong. And you know, can- it, in fact, they even said that in the movie. So yeah, when they put that scene together. And then brought that whole idea of spying on the Chancellor up to Ahsoka. And you saw that out of everyone that should be on Anakin's side, Ahsoka man- maintained her loyalty to Anakin and was upset by that decision. Yes. She knew it was wrong. Well, you even, the thing I liked about that too was you saw that Obi Wan, they carried on the emotion from Revenge of the Sith because in Revenge of the Sith, Obi Wan was kind of reluctant to do it. He basically just said, you know, follow the Jedi order. This is their orders. We we can't trust anybody in the council. Yeah. And we don't like we don't blame Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is yeah. a bad person, but he has said it from the very beginning. He failed. He failed. He failed. And this is that moment where he probably rather than going left, he probably should have went right. He and, probably should have should have helped and Ana- I, Anakin. I love that conversation between him and Ahsoka because you could tell that the way that they're trying to tell Obi-Wan's side of the story at this point is he's conflicted. He's like going, right. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have done this, but he, uh, it's when he tells Ahsoka, you're the one that needs to call Anakin because he's, he's afraid that he went too far, that Anakin's not going to trust him. And also he's aware of the relationship between the two of them and how strong it is. Yeah. And then the, the sad part about that, I like that because then you put it together with the prior episode Ahsoka had her chance you know just like what we said in the last episode Anakin was was so excited to see her and everything else and then he gets rebuffed by her and yeah. that is basically the last I bet you that 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 will be the last confrontation between her and Anakin. We're not going to see her conversation. We're not going to yeah. see a conversation because it's kind of like Anakin, uh, Anakin already looked for help from her once and she, she rebuffed him. And then now in revenge of the Sith, everybody's turning against Anakin. None of the Jedi council be- uh, believe in him. Obi-Wan tells him to spy on a person that he has trusted all his adolescence and then his wife basically looks at him and starts questioning his choices. Yeah. It's like a, it's, it's a tragic cake. But that's why Ahsoka, I think, is so important as a literary character in this saga. This is where Filoni truly shines because her loyalty to Anakin hurts the heart. Sure, Filoni's got the glitz, the pizzazz. But his ability to craft a story full of heart, yeah. it evokes so many emotions. Look how we're talking right now for the past 10, 15 minutes about it, because this is what good writing does. It, it does. isn't about being divisive and making decisions so you can get those water cooler moments where people can talk you know, about the controversy of your decisions as a writer. Not always about that. If you're a good writer, you don't need the controversy. You don't need the divisive water cooler moments because the moments that will carry on through the through the years, through the decades are moments that are built on the page because there's heart, there's a guiding through line of emotion that we can all cling to. There are relatable moments. Now tell me if you saw this too. Okay, and we're going to go back and forth in a minute. I'm going to go back to Maul in a second, but 
Tell me if you saw this too, because her loyalty to Anakin was definitely tested in this episode. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like Ahsoka went against her instincts. There was a part of me that feels that Filoni wanted to convey a bit of conflict when it came to Ahsoka's decision to to help Maul and, in essence, believe Maul. When he told her about Anakin being groomed for years, there was a look in her face. It wasn't instant, no, you're a liar. There was an instant where she knew it. Where she already knew it. You know when you know something's nagging you in the back of your mind? Oh, yeah. And then suddenly you realize what it is. You're like, that is exactly what's been bothering me. We know Ahsoka's wise. We know she's strong with the Force. We also know that she's now been away from the Jedi Council and has managed to clear her thoughts, right? Yes. So it would make sense that she would, in fact, sense that there's something off about Anakin. Something's not right. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder, as you had said, if the roles were changed. If it was not Obi-Wan that had confronted Anakin and it was Ahsoka, would things have been different? Just like the que- that same question you posed a moment ago, because these are questions they were posing, you know, and that these are the types of questions that good writing pose is what yeah. I should say, because it causes us to look at things differently. Oh, yeah. From absolutely. a different point of view, if you will. I mean, it, w- when I thought about it, it made me think about the final scene of Revenge of the Sith, where Obi-Wan confronts Anakin on Mustafar. And instead, I thought about it, okay, instead of Obi-Wan, what would have happened if Ahsoka was there? And I honestly well, think well, that Dave, would have changed everything. Well, okay, it could have changed it in, in various various ways. Okay, let's say she helped Anakin turn back to the good side. Or yeah. perhaps maybe she would have joined him. And that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. Because of her her blind loyalty of Anakin. Of Anakin. Is, is this possibly her one mistake? Even though she senses that Maul is probably right, she chooses to believe in Anakin. Is that a mistake? Possibly. But does it show her character? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. The fact that she puts her friendship and her loyalty to Anakin above all else. Yes. And maybe in her mind, she's all, well, what he's doing is wrong, but I'm going to be the one to make that decision. I'm not going to join Maul and betray Anakin and, betray and Anakin. try to murder him. I'm going to investigate and figure out what he said, if what he said is correct. And I'm wondering if that's what we're going to see in the next two episodes. Now, we know, Dave, based on Star Wars Rebels, unfortunately, we already know that she never truly knows or finds out that Anakin is Darth Vader. Which will be interesting because, like, you gotta... You got to figure that, okay, we know two major events are, have yet to happen that mm-hmm. we're leading up. Order 66, which I honestly feel is going to be the next one. That's the next bomb to drop. But the next one is the rise of Darth Vader. Everyone knows that Yoda and Obi-Wan disappeared. Right. Well, but they, she, and and Obi Wan basically sent out the whole message because we saw it in Rebels. The message to all the Jedi's: go into hiding, go far away. Do not. Uh, the Jedi's are no more. Do not use your Force abilities. Do not. He, he sent out that huge message for the for, uh, children of the Force. Ahsoka had to have known. That something major happened. Well, obviously she knows something happened, Dave. That's why she went into hiding, right? But my main question is, if in Rebels, that's when she puts it together and figures out that Darth Vader is Anakin. What is she told about Anakin that basically Ahsoka decides not to go and try to find him? Perhaps she assumes he died like everyone else. I don't remember exactly 
I, ju- I just know that she had you and I, I still remember we were speculating uh, when, when Ahsoka was introduced, we're like, does she know does she that know? Anakin turned to Vader? And they had asked her, who is this guy? Uh, I believe Kanan and Ezra had asked her, who is he? And she said, I don't know. It wasn't until the moment that they faced off within the spacecrafts in the, in a dogfight. I want to say what episode five. Yeah. Episode six of season four, the famous when she lives. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. It does make me a little nervous. If, If this was any other writer, it would make me a little nervous. How are you going to continue the story of Ahsoka and give closure to that aspect, the relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka without her finding out. But because Filoni is just a master, I mean, truly a master here at bringing everything together and making everything feel seamless. I'm not worried. And whatever yeah. we get, is probably going to be a okay. I wonder, this was something that I was thinking about earlier this morning. Do you think they're going to, elaborate more on what all star Wars fans basically say it was the great lie. Obi-Wan telling, you know, when he tells Luke that basically Darth Vader killed your father. Do you think Obi-Wan's going to do the be, same, thing, do to the same thing to Ahsoka and basically say a Sith Lord came by his name is Darth Vader. He killed Anakin. I mean, it, it could, and it would make sense. To, to to increase what's called the Star Wars Great Law. And and maybe Obi-Wan's thought process is to protect Ahsoka from going after Vader. Don't try to save Vader, he's gone. He's gone, yeah. Yeah. It would or don't try to don't try to save Anakin, he's gone. Yeah. But we also have to remember that Obi-Wan didn't know about Anakin's survival. That is true. So we have that as well. Dude, I'm so excited. Don't you love this, though? I love this. We don't know. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I do have a feeling that they're going to be focusing on Execute Order 66 next. We have have to find out about Rex and how he manages to break free of that control. Yeah. But Dave, I just love how everything is falling together. It's the greatest thing. This whole entire, the, the, con- the internal conflict of Ahsoka, the internal conflict of Darth Maul, uh, the way things are being handled from the Jedi perspective, the way things are being looked at from Darth Maul, from, from being beneath it all, looking up and seeing how all of it works. It's the single greatest thing of the Disney era. Yeah. I mean, like, the, Dave Filoni is we me and you have gone back and forth, especially myself. I am a Dave Filoni fan. I believe in Dave Filoni. I think he's a fantastic creative mind. He needs he should do more things and be allowed to do more things in Star Wars than he than he has been. And at this point, this these two episodes is what I'm going to point at as as examples of why we need to believe in Dave Filoni. Right. Because he understands everything. He understands not just as, you know, as a fan, but as a writer, as a professional writer, how to make your narrative work. I mean, I was really excited too, that he not only was able to weave his storyline, but he keeps track of everybody else's storyline. Like the fact that he answered the, one of the, mysteries that I felt was, which is Darth Maul, what happened? Because like what I said in the last episode, the last time we saw Maul before this was he was being literally lightning blasted by Darsidious. And with a simple scene, he explains about how the two Mandalorians, the two people that are his henchmen are the ones who broke him out of the prison. And suddenly I'm like going, He's making allusions to Son of Dathmir. Yeah. So if you knew that storyline, you'd like going, bang, there you go. That's how he broke out. Yeah. But what I was going, Dave, because you went on a tangent there, and I love yeah, it. I'm sorry. But what I was trying to say about, about the single greatest thing of Star Wars, Dave, is that Lucas had started on this. And this is something that you and I have continued to praise, the Disney era of Star Wars. It's the idea that the Jedi had made some poor decisions. And yes, Lucas had definitely started with that. 
Yeah. There was various allusions to that in Revenge of the Sith and other tie-in media before it was all retconned. The tie-in media I'm talking about. But the Disney-era Lucasfilm, they've really fleshed that aspect out. The poor decisions the Jedi have made and the multiple viewpoints highlighting everyone else's perspective. Because you can look at Maul and you can say, yeah, he was wronged. You can look at Ahsoka and understand how she was wronged. But then you can also look at the Jedi Council and say, well, they were being manipulated, pushed and shoved into a corner. What did you expect them to do? To lie down and just, all right, take over, do what you want. <laughs> I mean, they reacted the only way you probably could have acted. That's the genius of Palpatine's plan. Yes. So. You have all these different perspectives and they're all right. That maybe Palpatine. From a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, and yeah. I love that because it goes back to one of the biggest thematic elements of Star Wars from the very first movie, A New Hope, from a certain point of view, from a certain point of view. Maul is the good guy. Yep. From a certain point of view, Anakin is not as bad up to this point yet. He's no. just being pulled and tugged and torn in every direction. From a certain point of view, Ahsoka is doing what she thinks is right. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing how you can take a theme like that and craft it into almost every aspect of your story. This is the genius of Dave Filoni. Yes. Using a theme that Lucas used to govern his trilogies. Yeah. And now using it to actually not just make it a statement, but actually use it to develop and shape our characters around these certain points of view. It's, it's amazing. Really good. It's really good. And I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm really happy we're getting this type of, storylines now because I think this is what Star Wars needed. Star Wars needed like this epic just this epic ending to a, a the the prequel trilogy that we already had an epic ending to the prequel trilogy. What I'm trying to say without being negative. <laughs> I know what you're trying to say so just spit it out. We're, we were promised to have an epic story ending to the Skywalker saga. Oh. And when you look at these past two episodes, the past two episodes absolutely shit on <laughs> the, the new prequel, the, the new sequels. And not because I don't, I don't think Dave Filoni is trying to say, yeah, I'm going to pop a squat. But when you take good, cohesive writing from someone who understands not just the basic elements of star Wars as someone who has enveloped himself inside of the star Wars mythos. These are the types of stories you get. You get something that feels authentic and sincere to George Lucas's version of star Wars. The sequel trilogy is what you get from directors who watched six movies and only liked maybe one or two. Each of them likes certain things out of one or two movies. And they're like, that's what I'm going to continue. I like that. <laughs> Never mind the, the decades of Star Wars mythos. Never mind the cartoons. I mean, that, that's an issue I had with a recent interview that I uh, read. That, that I'd read from some site that did an interview with Sam Witwer. And he was talking about the shooting of solo a star Wars story and that he has never put his foot down when it comes to anything Lucasfilm because he's just happy to be there, but they had the mall thing all messed up. And he said, you had half the people on the production that knew nothing about any other versions of star Wars. And then you had the other half who were aware of clone wars and the other things that make up star Wars. The problem was the two producers of Solo had no idea about anything outside of movies. Exactly. And he said, and you could feel it. So I put my foot down and I told them this is how it needs to be. 
that's the reason why we have issues right now. So you're not being negative, David. You're being perceptive and being honest. We're not bashing anything, but we're saying these are the reasons why the sequels aren't looked at favorably because it doesn't feel like they understand Star Wars. Star Wars. The prequels, you can talk shit about them all day if you want. You can say they're cheesy, they're stupid. But one thing you can't say is they don't feel like Star Wars. And they're also cohesive. And it feels like one, it's part of the bigger story. One leads into the next, to the next, and then into the original trilogies. Everything meshes and folds in together. Yes. So, Clone Wars, Dave, is an example of someone who understands the very fabric of Star Wars. Because he cares. And it's his job. And you're supposed to. Yeah. And it's his legacy. Honestly, at this point, Dave Filoni's legacy is Star Wars. It's just as much as George Lucas is. And without getting on a soapbox saying this is why Star Wars is great or this is why it's not. Here's another example. Okay. Towards the end of the episode, the scene that you were talking about. Darth Maul talks to people within the hollow feeds and tells them to go into hiding. Yes. And it's Maul's crime organization. (laughs) The Crimson Dawn. You have the Black Sun. You have Crimson Dawn. You have a character that at first I thought was Prince Zizor. Zizor. I thought for a second. Then upon further research, it is actually Zaitan Maj, who was also in Clone Wars. And he was also in the Dark Disciple novel. Novel. Then, of course, on the far right side, who do you see? Raiden Voss. Raiden Voss. That was awesome, dude. Because we have Filoni, a man who cares, not about just his story, but creating cohesiveness within the world of Star Wars. He didn't need to have Raiden Voss there. He didn't need to talk about Crimson Dawn. But he does this because he wants to create something that feels cohesive with the ever-evolving story of Star Wars. And now, with just a few seconds, Dave, we have that little bit of groundwork laid out that justifies Maul's appearance in Solo, a Star Wars story. It took five seconds. That's it, Dave. Yeah. That's all. Five seconds of giving a fuck. And you managed to tie to move a movie to the prequel era. Yeah, that's all it takes. And it amazes me that looking back at a lot of the great Star Wars episodes that me and you have covered. A lot of people think that they have to do this grandiose revelation and do this epic 10 minute connection to another movie. But most of the moments that me and you have really championed. Five seconds, 10 seconds, a two minute scene. It doesn't take long, Dave. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long to make your story count. A simple, it's like, it's like in the prior episode when you see that montage in the beginning of the episode and you see everyone in their positions for Revenge of the Sith, but then maybe a short 30 second scene, you see a young Jedi Knight standing next to his master who's very busy a jedi knight or apprentice apprentice uh, yeah yeah he's a padawan at that point and it's kanan yeah and everyone basically says, oh my god it's kanan yeah. and simple connection done everyone's in their spot yeah. it's good <laughs> man i really like it and getting into the technical side of things this is probably the most cinematic episode of clone wars that's ever been produced it's on par with the Star Wars films. And you can really tell the difference. I've never had a problems with the animation. The choreography of the animation. Or I should say how the choreography is animated in the episodes. I've always felt the fight scenes were pretty fantastic in Clone Wars. But this took it up to 11, Dave. And you can see the difference. By having Ray Park <laughs> motion captured. Yes. For these fight sequences. It was like watching a film, a live action during various moments in the fight scenes. 
It was like rewatching Phantom Menace, the final fight scene with him and uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Yeah. All those movements, Ray Park still got it. <laughs> it's amazing that originally everyone knew that he was mo-capped for for the final for the final season and everyone was wondering, well, we're going to get a good we're going to get a fight scene and you know, it made the headlines and everyone was happy. And then we got it here. And I agree with you, dude. This is the most, this probably can be considered one of the greatest fight scenes in Star Wars that we've seen. Yeah. Ahsoka versus Maul. The uh, animation supervisor, Keith Kellogg, said he had never really thought about doing anything like this for a, a full-on animation. Obviously, they do motion captures quite a bit for lots of different reasons. But... The supervisor on Clone Wars just never really thought about, hey, you know what? Let's bring Ray Park, motion capture him, and uh, we'll use that as a reference. Because he never thought about it, but he said it just, it really came in handy. He said it it helped with the way he lifts his legs, or how he'll do a double jump, or the foot plant that he'll do. He says little things like that. He says, I certainly wouldn't have thought of in terms of what we would do in animation. He says, even the way he stalks people. When he's mall, it all came through in the oh, animation. Yeah. I mean, there have been fight scenes of Maul throughout Clone Wars ever since his rebirth. And they're all good. And they're all good. But this one honestly felt the most authentic Darth Maul fight scene that we've had. It's amazing. And it, it, it it's, it's because it's Ray Park. It's an accomplishment, Dave. I mean... Baloney and the producers and the animation directors and supervisors and Ray Park yes. should all be very happy with themselves because they delivered a fabulous piece of Star Wars that will be remembered for a very, very, very long time. And dude, on top of that, we finally get, as a lot of Clone War fans, we finally get to have the whole mall aspect all in one. We have Sam Whitmer, who has been absolutely absolutely awesome as Maul. His voice is Maul. That is Maul. That's his voice. But now we got his movements and his body language that we got from Phantom Menace because Ray Park is the one that's actually doing the movements. And the two mesh really well. Like... Sam's dialogue when he's talking as Maul, but you know that it's mo-capped by, by Ray Park when he's walking back and forth. Absolutely seamless. And we finally get to see a hundred percent Maul at a hundred percent. That's really special. When I took, when I actually stopped and after watching this like four times and I looked at it, I said, this is actually the, the one thing that, all us Darth Maul fans have been wanting to see Darth Maul at a hundred percent. It totally, that is him. You should see the rating on IMDb right now. It's 9.9. And that's, that's what tears me up. I don't know what's better this episode or last episode. This episode, definitely. I don't know. That last episode was so epic. They're all good so far, Dave, but. I just think this had all the feels because you see two characters on opposite sides, Maul and Ahsoka, who are essentially now they're not, but they've been, I mean, Ahsoka's never been in a live action. Darth Maul has been in 1.2 live action movies and to see their stories flesh out and they mean something. That's my thing, Dave. Mm -hmm. That's my thing with this is that, you managed to stir up so much emotion in such a short amount of time. I mean, I had nerd star Wars chills. I think I, my ears, my ears, if my ear, my ears were crying as well as my eyes. (laughs) No, I think I had tears in my eyes when Maul was talking to Ahsoka because it was just so perfectly epic. And to see all of this come to a head in a manner that we can all be proud of and say, this is, this is our star Wars. This is the star Wars. We should have always gotten, especially after a very long bumpy ride over the last eight years. And this is what we're being given. It's just, 
it's fantastic to see. I mean, even the sound design. Dave. Oh, the sound design in this episode was just phenomenal. The sound design and the score. Some of Kevin Kenner's best work, without a doubt. I have a clip I'm going to play because I want people to hear this sound design without looking at it because you can actually pick up on everything that much better and appreciate the the talent that goes into score and sound design. Vision is flawed. I see the pad one needs one last lesson. The score is so good because Absolutely. it has the same hit points as Duel of Fates yes. and Battle of Heroes. Yes, it's a very different type of composition, but those similar beats, those similar hits are there. And they're mixing this with the classic samurai drum beat. So you get a whole new style. And this is what Lucas always says. I like what you're doing. But what else are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to bring new to the table? What are you going to bring new to the table? Well, this is something new. I'm going to keep playing. You're lucky Anakin didn't show up. Even Filoni's eye for the cinematic has gotten better. You can tell. Yes. Because there's a shallow depth of field scene when Ahsoka loses her lightsaber <laughs> and the camera is focused on that and then it racks focus to them in the background. I'm like, well, what is this, a movie? <laughs> I what know. are you doing to me? And, and that, that same shot, that same shot, I'm glad you pointed out that shot out. It's the same composition that was used in, if you think about it, the uh, the fight scene in uh, Last Jedi, the throne that throne scene. Don't, don't compare it to this. Please. I'm not going to compare it, but it's interesting to actually. You want to get shot tonight? Someone, someone actually pointed this out. The exact same composition is when the when when the sword comes flying back, right? And Darth Maul, Darth Maul flips over it. Mm-hmm. It's the same shot as basically what Last sword Jedi. does Darth Maul flip over? Uh, when uh, Ahsoka summons her uh, lightsaber oh, to a her, lightsaber, the lightsaber. I'm being difficult, <laughs> but What's, just because what, what, what I brought, show are you watching? Just because I brought up the Last Jedi. <laughs> just, yeah, so I'm gonna give you shit now. <laughs> All right, so everything's great. This is yeah. a perfect example of just. Someone that really knows what they're doing, not just from a Star Wars perspective, but from a, a cinematic side. All this does is make me want more Filoni and see what and I want to see what he can do from the live action side. Give this man reins to Lucasfilm. We'll all be better off. Your <laughs> your pocketbooks, Disney will be uh, better than ever. You will recover what you've lost over the years. It, Do it. There's a question that I actually wrote in my notes that I want to ask you. Okay. Now, these two episodes have been fantastic for the story of Ahsoka, and it's really highlighted the importance of her character. Right. You, if you're Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. you've got to be like a little intimidated now because Ahsoka's storyline is going to be so important by the end of this. And you're coming in supposedly to play Ahsoka. And second season of Mandalorian, there's there has to be a little pressure on her, yeah, to make sure that hey, this is how Ahsoka is. Okay, so Dave, yes, I like your question, but I'll take it up a notch. Yes, there's pressure. I yes, I agree with you to answer your question. Absolutely, she knows what Ahsoka means to the fandom. She is Ahsoka is. The single character, the only character in Star Wars that literally bridges all the fans together. Yeah. There is no other character 
within the Star Wars fandom that brings everyone together. You have the, everyone's favorites, but then some people be like, oh, yeah, I kind of like them, but not that good. Everyone <laughs> likes Ahsoka. Everyone likes Ahsoka. So, yes, a lot of pressure, but I will raise you. Yes, I know this is Star Wars and not one person, not one creative mind owns a character. But at this point, the journey we've seen Ahsoka take through by way of the mind, by way of Baloney's mind and Lucas's mind. Do we really want someone else who's not as talented to ever craft a story for Ahsoka at this point? Aha, exactly. And taking it that far, it, I'm like, going, number one, I understand that Dave Filoni has a lot of creative say in Mandalorian season two. Right. He does. We don't know if he's showrunner yet, though. We don't know if he's showrunner yet. We know that there have been hints that basically Rosario Dawson is going to play Ahsoka and it's going to answer supposedly a lot of questions of where she was during this time. I don't want that. Exactly. You know why I don't want that, Dave? Because I like Mandalorian. I do. Yes. It's very simple. It goes by really fast. There isn't a lot of substance to it. Ahsoka requires substance. Her story requires substance. How are we going to focus on the Mandalorian and that story while at the same time focusing now on Ahsoka and everything, her baggage that comes with Ahsoka? What we've seen in the first season, they won't be capable of juggling both. Precisely. It's just not going to happen unless they completely change the writing room out and have baloney run the writing room then i'm like okay it can happen but uh, we need to wrap this show up i'm going to give you ready dave okay you ready for it ready i've never done this before (laughs) you already know yes i'm giving this episode a hundred percent dave and that says a lot that says a lot all right what about you final thoughts and rmd score because i'm going to give it a hundred percent too because I can't, that's the, that's the You're quadrant. Just You're like, yes, I'm going to do it too. Because you, you opened up that doorway. Now I can do it too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, the, uh, but here's the problem that I have though, as just critiquing it on a, on a, on a critique side, I can't really distinguish which one was better episode, the last episode or this episode, part one or part two. In terms of quality of writing, it, you can't in terms of emotions and what it, what type of emotions it stirred. That's how I gave this a 100% because yes, on paper, both episodes are written. Great. Phenomenal. But cinematically and emotions wise, this episode takes the cake. This took it to me. another level. Yeah. Okay. That's how I made my decision. Any other thoughts, Dave? Uh, I'm exhausted and we're only in part two. I know. We have two more parts to go. I feel like I just had the best sex of my life after I watched. Not with you in this room, David. That'd be a little a little too much. I'm talking about after I watched this episode. I was just completely worn out and tired and just like, oh, God, I'm ready to roll over and go to sleep. Now we will find Ahsoka porn everywhere. Oh, Jesus. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening to our discussion. Remember, you can always find all of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Just search Star Wars from the Back to Tank. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the Force be with us. Get more Star Wars discussions every month with the Back to Tank Patreon exclusive shows. From Star Wars comics and book reviews to speculative discussions and breakdowns. All when you pledge to our Patreon page. What? Go to patreon.com slash Digital for more details. As you wish. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs>